Good morning, everyone, and a happy and blessed Easter to you all. Happy Easter. Please turn to number 275, and we'll begin our worship with Because He Lives. He lives. And now we will have our call to worship this morning. Good Easter morning. 
Call to worship this morning is Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellence in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names unto my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Yeah, Amen. That is um, David's prophecy. I don't know that he understood it all, but that the Messiah from his line would rise from the dead. And that is what we celebrate this morning. Let's continue to worship number 268. Christ the Lord is risen today. Raise your joys and triumphs high. 
God, we have gathered here this morning in your presence to celebrate one of the greatest events of history, that your son who took on flesh and blood as a baby and died for our sins on the cross, rose from the dead on the third day. And with that, he completed his work on earth. He put the exclamation point on his work And it is just so wonderful to be here in person, that your spirit is here. We pray that as we worship you this morning, your spirit would draw us closer to you, and we would be filled with a greater sense of awe and wonder at the the mystery and the majesty of what Jesus Christ has done for us, is still doing, and will do for us all the way until we see him face to face. We pray in his name. Amen. And you may be seated and take your uh, bulletin inserts, and we will pray our prayer of confession together. Almighty God, in raising Jesus from the grave, you shattered the power of sin and death. We confess that we remain captive to doubt and fear, bound by the ways that lead to death. Lord, bring new life where we are worn and tired, new love where we have turned hard-hearted, forgiveness where we feel hurt and where we have wounded and the joy and freedom of your Holy Spirit where we are prisoners of ourselves. In your holy name we pray. Amen. And let us just take a few moments of silent uh, confession. Well, I'm sure that we could go on and on, but uh, for the sins that have been brought to our hearts and minds, let us remember what the Apostle John wrote in his first general letter. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's uh, continue our worship with two more songs. Number 285, He Lives, and number 290, Our God Reigns.
He does. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word this morning. Scripture reading this morning is St. John chapter 20, 1 through 18. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh some Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, 
For I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. We have Psalm 118, verses 21 through 29. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Amen. And now, let us go to the Lord in prayer. We praise you, Lord Jesus, because your resurrection changed the calendar, changed cultures, and even changed the day of the week that your church sets aside to worship you as the all-powerful God who humbled yourself to die for us, to cancel our sins, and then you rose to life again so that our lives may be transformed to save, to serve you, transformed to serve you with the purpose for which you created us in the first place. All glory, praise, and honor to thee, Redeemer King. Please stir our hearts not just today, but every day, to be in awe of both your power and your grace. At any time before we said yes to your call and gave our broken lives to you, you could have rightly cut us off forever from yourself. But in your grace, And great love, you kept knocking until we let you in. But now we confess that we have not been grateful enough. And we have failed at times to do even the most simple and basic commands that you gave to us, Lord Jesus. Let alone the more difficult ones. Have we truly crucified all our sinful desires every day 
and walked in all you have called us to do? Or do we too often try to serve you as individuals in doing only that which is easier to do? Three in one God, we could pray for the world we live in, and it sure needs prayer. But first, we must pray for ourselves. Please, we must every moment live in your love and then show its effect in all we do for others, in all we say to others, especially those we think are so far away from you. We need your life in us because we are weak and sometimes on life support using only human means. You are the way, the truth, and the life. May we always walk in you. And for our cell in your body, we pray for these people. Peter, Linda, Billy, their mother, and Norgie. We pray for Ken, Charlie, Allie and her family, including KK and so many more, some who may even be watching us now. We pray for Christine, Sally and Jimmy, Debbie, thank you that she's recovering, Elan, Doris, Cindy. Father, I want to pray for my brother-in-law and thank you for all that you have brought him through by your grace. But now I just found out from my sister that she's in constant pain because of a slipped disc. So please help her. Father, we we pray for Carol. Um, She's in need of healing. And Lord, please touch her, heal her, so she can continue to give aid and to serve her family. And... uh, Please, may Noelle now be worshiping you in person this morning. I know that was her desire with her brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we pray for uh, John and Pat. We pray for Shane and Cindy. We pray for uh, Francis and, and for her whole family. Uh, we just continue to lift up all the members of this church, this local church. And now please, please. Enable me to bring out from the gospel in the psalm all that you want us to know today about Jesus' resurrection. And, and, and by your spirit, may you do a miracle so that we will all live for you totally from today and forward, tomorrow and all the days that follow. And now... Because sooner or later, our words fail us. We thank you for the perfect model prayer that Jesus gave his followers. And we pray it together with one heart and one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And um, the uh, gospel passage that we just heard today, I read this uh, many years ago. Many pastors uh, and preachers in the past were also poets. And this C. Austin Miles was studying the scripture he was going to preach, the very scripture that we heard. And this was in the late 19th century, the height of romanticism and sentimentality. And he came up with this poem to describe Mary Magdalene and Jesus in the garden. And this is what we'll sing, number 267, In the Garden. seated. This is the most joyous day of the year for Christians. It is the day when the Savior Jesus secured victory over sin and death for his people. When he became the first fruits 
of the resurrected. When he rose from the dead, after he died on the cross, as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the faithful. This is one of those rare days in the year when all people of faith feel compelled to worship the Savior in person and be with other people of faith. It is a day to celebrate the wonderful gift of life, life that is eternal and everlasting, life that can be abundant and fruitful, and life that also has purpose, real meaning to it, that kind of life. And it was given to the first humans, Adam and Eve, in the garden before they rebelled against their creator. Now that can be restored in Jesus Christ. However, like everything about God, about the God of the universe, we must guard against the danger of thinking we know all that there is to know about any subject whatsoever. And this includes the resurrection of Jesus. Now, as as background to today's reading, in all cultures with a history of Christian influence, and that includes all the English-speaking cultures, the role of women has grown in the 20th century since Jesus fulfilled his mission on earth. Now, in the Apostle Paul's letters to first-century churches, he made it very clear that all divisions that people make among themselves are overcome, overcome among all people who are in the Messiah Savior by faith. And this even includes the division of men and women, male and female. And then the Apostle Peter went so far in his letter to say that even in the marriage relationship where the husband and wife are different and they have different roles and and responsibilities, he went on to say that they are equal heirs together of life. Men and women are the same when it comes to the eternal life that Jesus Christ gives. Now, our account of Jesus' resurrection from John's gospel is an early example of God elevating the role of women in his kingdom. In the Roman culture of the first century, women were definitely treated as second-class people, and they were not allowed to be a witness in court. Their word didn't mean anything. Their testimony was not accepted. But the heart of today's story is that Jesus tells Mary of Magdalene to be his first witness to the resurrection. And he sent her as an apostle. Apostle means one who is sent. She was sent to the other apostles whom Jesus sent. So the bottom line is Mary Magdalene was the first, the very first, to see Jesus alive. So now, let's go deeper 
into the Gospel of John. We will look at it, sentence by sentence, and also this psalm that we heard. They're very much related. So the first half of John's account says Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She saw, she's seeing, actually it's in the present tense, the stone moved. And she tells Peter and John who run to the tomb, Peter goes in, but then John and he believes. So that's the first half. It starts with Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb on the first day of the week. She sees the stone is rolled away. She runs to Peter and John, and they run to the tomb. John arrives first, but notice he does not go in. So here we go. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene is coming early, still being dark. The sun was not up yet. To the tomb, and she's seeing the stone has been taken away from the tomb. Now, I've said this before, this was shocking. Mary or Miriam means their rebellion. Think of all the wonderful, faithful Marys in the New Testament, but what a name they carried. And she was from the city of Magdala, and that name means tower. So there must have been a great tower in her home. Town. Okay, and I looked up where it was. It's very interesting. On the western side of the Sea of Galilee, you've got Capernaum, then Gennesaret, and then Magdala. And they were all within just a few miles of each other. So she's arriving at the tomb before the sun comes up on the morning after the Sabbath day. And with her eyes, she can see the stone that was covering the opening of the tomb has been moved. Now, let me just say something. I have chosen and throughout this reading of the passage and sermon, I'll use the word tomb. But the Greek lexicon says we could also say grave. You heard the King James calls it a sepulcher. And I'm going to have to do more research on this because the Greek name transliterated into English would be memorial. And and I actually like that because think about even now, we love to go to this memorial place where our loved ones have been laid to rest. Okay, moving on. Then she's running and she's coming to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, John. And she is saying to them, they've taken away the Lord from the tomb and we have not known where they laid him. So she's running to Peter and John. Okay. Now, John is the disciple whom Jesus named with his brothers, sons of thunder. That means these guys could explode. They could be a tempest. They could be wild men. And yet Jesus loved him. And, and I think, why does John say so much about Jesus loved me? Well, he probably felt the least deserving of it because of who he was before Jesus called him. And then Mary's message is that Jesus' body has gone missing from the tomb. Therefore, Peter went out and the other disciple, and they were coming quickly to the tomb, but they were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead quickly of Peter, and he came first to the tomb. So after hearing Mary's message, where's the body? They started out running together. 
but John arrived first. Now, in most commentaries that you'll read in in church tradition and all, John was probably the youngest apostle. And Peter may very well have been the oldest. So this just may be an example of the speed of youth. Now, having stooped down, he, John, is seeing the linen strips that had been laid. Nevertheless, not he went in. Now, I really looked into this word, and it makes sense for grave clothes and all we know about wrapping a dead body. They're literally linen strips that had been wound around him. He sees these strips in which Jesus had been wrapped. And now the next set of events is Peter follows and goes into the tomb. Then John enters, sees and believes because they did not know the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So John tells us who wrote this gospel, then Simon Peter is also coming, following him. And he went into the tomb and he is seeing the linen strips are being laid And the face cloth that was being about his head, not with the linen strips being laid, but by itself, it had been folded up in one place. So Peter, always the impulsive one, he's the first to actually enter the tomb. And what did he see? He sees all the pieces of Jesus' grave clothes in order. In order, they had been neatly arranged. Then, after the other disciple went in also, who having come first to the tomb, he saw and he believed. Okay. John entered the tomb second after Peter. But when he saw with knowledge, there's three different words translated see in this passage. This is a word that's often translated knowledge, head knowledge, things that we've learned. He sees with knowledge and he believed. What did he believe? That Jesus was risen from the dead. And then he adds this, because not yet. And he was there. He ought to know. They had known the scripture that it is being necessary that he from the dead rise. Okay, two scriptures. We heard the first as our call to worship. In a psalm, David says, Yahweh will not let his holy one see decay. And later, Some 50 days after this, Peter applied this very passage to Jesus in his Pentecost sermon. But there's another one that I I thought of, and it's amazing. The 15 verses of Isaiah that we call the suffering servant passage, it concludes with three verses that we basically can sum it up this way. That the one whose life was a guilt offering, and remember the guilt offerings, I'm slogging through Leviticus right now. All the offerings were sacrificed, killed to death, and the blood was put on the altar before Jesus came to earth. That means Jesus died as a guilt offering, yet he will see the light of life and justify many. They had scripture memorized, but they didn't really know what that passage meant. 
But let's bring it forward. May we all ask the Holy Spirit to give us deeper understanding of whatever area of Scripture where we still have ignorance as to what that Scripture means. Okay? And then we're told they went away again to their own, the other disciples. I think what's happening here is the very thought that has come in to John's heart and the faith he's received. It's too wonderful for Peter and John to take it in. They aren't seeing anything but an empty tomb right now, so they go back to the other disciples. Now, the rest of our account is Mary weeping before uh, Jesus reveals himself. And then she calls him teacher, and he sends her to tell his brothers. And really, this is the fulfillment of the psalm we heard. And we'll look at that psalm and how Jesus fulfilled it with this very act of rising from the dead. But we're told Mary's remaining still weeping. She sees two angels to whom she answers, her Lord is taken away. Then she turns and she thinks Jesus is the gardener and asks him, where's the body? Where have you put it? Okay, but Mary had been standing near the tomb outside weeping. Then as she was weeping, she bent over looking into the tomb and she's seeing two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where it was laying the body of Jesus, which is not there anymore. So Mary had stayed in the background while Peter and John were there and doing what they needed to do. But we find out she was weeping the whole time, the whole time over the status of Jesus. Where is Jesus? Okay. And then when she stoops before the tomb, she sees two angels sitting at either end, one at the head and one at the feet, where Jesus had been. Okay. And they say to her, them, woman, why are thou weeping? And she's saying to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I've not known where they have laid him. So we have a little Q&A here. The angels ask Mary why she is weeping. And she answers, assuming that some people had taken away her Lord who had delivered her from seven demons, that she needs to know where he is. Having spoken these words, she was turned around and she's perceiving Jesus having stood and not she has known that Jesus, he is. What's happening here? She's perceiving Jesus. She's looking very carefully at him. She's taking in his face, his features, everything. She's taking that all in. But she has not known that it is truly Jesus. She can't discern who he is. He's basically hidden from her in plain sight. 
you know, we all have blind spots. I remember preaching on this early in my time here. Blind spots concerning Jesus. Who he is, all that he is. Um, His words, all that he has said. His ways, all of his ways, which we are supposed to be following. And he's saying to her, Jesus says this, woman, why are you weeping? And whom are thou seeking? She, supposing that the gardener he is, she's saying to him, Lord, if you have taken him away, thou must tell me where thou have laid him and I will take him away. Now she's doing Lord as a respect to a human being who has some responsibilities here. So Jesus in his question makes it a two part question. And he adds to what the angels had said by whom are you seeking? And remember what he said in the sermon on the Mount seek and you will find. And that's about to be answered for Mary. But Mary's answer shows her desperation. What has become of Jesus's body? Okay, then we get the climax. When Jesus calls her by name, Mary calls him teacher. And he sends her to his disciples with a message. And she obeys. So he's saying to her, Jesus, Mary... And she is turned, that one. And she's saying to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which is being said, teacher. Now remember, this was written in Greek. So when Jesus calls Mary by name, with the same love that delivered her from the seven demons, something happens in her. And she is now turned on the inside to him. She recognizes him. Jesus has now revealed himself to Mary and she responds by calling him my great one in Hebrew and teacher in Greek. And he's truly both. He's the greatest of all and he's the greatest teacher as well. And she is the first of his followers to see him alive. Mary Magdalene is the first to see Jesus alive. And he's saying to her, Jesus, not of me thou must be taking hold, because not yet I have been ascended to my father, but thou must be going to my brothers, and thou must be saying to them, I'm ascending to my father and the father of you all. And my God in the God of you all. What's going on here? I know there's a lot of confusion about this, but I think what he's saying based on the grammar here is that he has not been permanently ascended to his father to stay there on the throne until he comes back again. He may have gone back and forth a few times. We don't know that. But he's kind of saying to her, you got me for 40 more days. And now... Mary is sent to Jesus' brothers, his disciples, and she must give them his message. So this passage ends with she is coming, Mary Magdalene, 
and she's telling the disciples she has seen the Lord. And these things he said to her, okay, out of sheer joy and love to Jesus, the first one to see him alive, obeys him and tells his disciples what she saw. She saw him alive and what he gave her to say to them. Mary Magdalene is the first to see Jesus alive. And we'll stop there in the gospel, but let us now turn to these nine verses we heard from Psalm 118, a a major, major prophetic psalm where the rejected stone has marvelously become the chief corner of salvation, inspiring joy and thanksgiving for the eternal strong love of God. So I'm going to once again go through it. And I'm going to try to give a literal translation of the words that the uh, psalmist was inspired to write. I will thank thee because thou have answered me. Then thou became to me salvation. So this psalm writer pledges, pledges to thank the covenant God, Yahweh, the three in one God. Why? Because of what? has happened to him in the past. His reason to thank God is that God has already answered his prayers and already saved him. Let all who are redeemed thank the covenant God for his salvation, which was secured by Jesus at his resurrection. Stone they rejected those building has become the head of the corner. From Yahweh, it has been this. It is being marvelous in our eyes. This, the day he has made Yahweh. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. This is a poetic description of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Literally, they're talking about a stone that was rejected for God's temple. But prophetically, this is talking about Jesus's crucifixion. But with his resurrection, Jesus became the cornerstone for his church. And the apostle Paul tells us that in his most general letter of them all. And this marvelous chain of events, which had been eternally planned by the three-in-one God, Yahweh, is inspiring much joy, much rejoicing in his people. When God's people realize what he accomplished on Jesus' resurrection day, the first Easter, they will have great Joy. That's why this is the most joyous day of the year. And then we get a double petition in the middle. We beseech thee, Yahweh, thou must save, please. We beseech thee, Yahweh, thou must cause to prosper, please. Let me explain a little bit about this double petition. God's people earnestly petition him to both save them and cause them to 
prosper. In Hebrew, the first petition is all one word. Hoshirana. Hosanna in English. Please save us. Now, let me say a word about biblical prosperity. I got this from the theological word dictionary. This is when God works in the life of a person seeking him with all of his or her heart. And the primary example given in this dictionary was Joseph in Egypt. Remember, he had been twice imprisoned. He'd been sold into slavery by his brothers, but he never lost sight of God. He always trusted in God and God caused him and used him to save his whole people. Back to the Psalm, being blessed one entering in the name of Yahweh. We've blessed you all from the house of Yahweh. God is Yahweh and his caused light to us. You all must bind the festival sacrifice with ropes, even to the horns of the altar. That's the best translation I can give of it. The words are very um, rare and, and hard to translate. But Jesus came to Jerusalem in the name of Yahweh on Palm Sunday and was being blessed by God's people. But later in the week, he became the Passover lamb sacrificed for the sins of all people. And that is a cause for joy. And then in his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus has brought light to all believing in him unto salvation. And and, and as I was thinking about this, this is the thing that I want God to do in me. And I think we can all be praying this. From today forward, may we have a profoundly deeper understanding and awe for what it means that Jesus arose from the dead after he was a willing sacrifice for us to be our savior. And then the psalm continues, my God are thou, and I will give thanks to thee. My God, I will exalt thee. You all must give thanks to Yahweh because good, he's good. Because to eternity, his strong Love. This word exalt means to lift to the very highest place. Now, we don't lift God to the very highest place. That's where he is. But in our hearts, we must be doing this all the time because he deserves it. That's who he is. And why? What's the reason for all of this? One of my favorite words, King James translates it, mercy. This is because God has showed his love when he gave his life for us. And he also had the power to be the first fruits of those raised from the dead. May we give continual thanks, thanksgiving for Jesus's death and resurrection and the salvation he secured by these acts. All that he went through for us, 
He deserves all of us. Let us thank the covenant God for his salvation, which was secured by Jesus' resurrection, which we remember and we celebrate this morning. Let me wrap up the events of the gospel of the good news. Mary Magdalene comes to Jesus' tomb before dawn and discovers the stone rolled away. Then she runs to Peter and John, who then run to the tomb where Peter discovers the grave clothes set in order and John believes. But Mary remains weeping until Jesus reveals himself to her alive. And finally, he sends her to his brothers, the disciples. If we know Jesus, we're all sent. Mary Magdalene was the first to see him alive, but we know he lives. We know he lives. And because of that, he is the king of kings and worthy of all glory. Let's now close singing number 281. Thine is the glory, risen, conquering son.
Amen. And um, our uh, benediction, our good word comes from the end of the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. If we're doing it in the Lord and for him, he will bring about the right result. If we're doing it for ourselves, all bets are off. And let us leave here with probably the most joyful, upbeat Easter song of them all. Number 272. Easter Song by Anne Herring. Hear the bells ringing, they're singing that we can be born again. Yeah.